boils and ghouls to another edition of Crypt Speakers, a Tales from the Crypt podcast that asks, who are you calling a dummy? I'm your co-ghost, Jay Tyler, and with me as always is... Sessie Correa, hello. Hey, um, how are you doing, Sessie? Good, you know, it's, uh, uh, it was a week, I'm not gonna lie, but, oh, you know, yeah, yeah but well, look- actually this week's episodes were fun and kind of a highlight so that's good sure yeah so a little behind the scenes we watch two episodes per recording session so that we can just knock two out it's a secret and now you're all in on it um uh and uh spoiler i guess um both of these two episodes uh have weird stuff in them which is as if you're long time crypt speakers listeners will know is what we're looking for from tales from the crypt we want the the weird stuff we don't want your insurance schemes. We don't want your infidelity. We want weird shit. And so buckle up, kitties, because we got two weeks of real weird shit. <laughs> yes. Um, this episode really brings it. Oh, yeah. No, I I, I I told you sort of in our pre-show little talk, like, this is the Tales from the Crypt I was expecting. This is, a, yeah, we'll get into it. But this Same. is sort of what i was expecting the show to be and it was nice to finally you know, like get into something like this um so the episode we are talking about this week is the ventriloquist ventriloquist i'm, I'm gonna say that word a bunch so i better get it right now the ventriloquist dummy um which is directed by richard donner so this is our second richard donner uh episode he did uh previously um dig that cat dot 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 he's real gone um, an episode that gave me a headache um, because of how much weird lens and uh, double time editing it had <laughs> in it, um, which uh, we'll get into it. But luckily, it's way dialed down unless it's necessary for this episode. Um, well, again, we'll get into it. But much more thoughtful use of those kind of techniques in this episode, I found. Um, but... That's old news. We've seen we've seen Richie Donner before. We've you know we've talked about the Omen. We've talked about Lethal Weapon. We've uh, talked about Superman. We've got to talk about who wrote this episode. Did you see who wrote this episode, Sessie? Uh, no. It's one of my favorite stories in all of Hollywood. It's a guy named by the name of Frank Darabont. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Frank Darabont is awesome yes (laughs) and it's so it's so crazy that he wrote this episode of tales from the crypt um so for those who don't know frank darabont sort of he he starts off as definitely a very schlocky horror um writer like that that's sort of his mo he wrote the script for an uh a nightmare on elm street 3 dream warriors a movie we weirdly talked about last week so Dream Warriors becoming kind of a weird like touchstone for this season of Tales from the Crypt. But he wrote the script for that. He wrote the script for The Fly 2, another movie we've talked about on this show. Uh, he wrote the script for 1988, The Blob. And then he wrote and directed this episode of Tales from the Crypt. Now, this is all fascinating because later on, he'll become very much known for directing a little movie called Shawshank Redemption, which is I think it's fair to say, not a scummy horror movie. <laughs> uh, so he does. He did the mist, right? Yes. So I was going to get to that. So he does. Oof. He does Shawshank Redemption. He does Green Mile. 
he makes this movie the majestic which is a movie about i think it's oh, like oh yeah jim carries like a uh like has ptsd and opens a movie theater i saw that film in the, in the theaters but i was a small child so i don't remember the specifics of it but you were a small child when the majestic came out because well, i was well, in high I, school yeah, I, I I say small child. I was I was only like a middle. I, I was oh, a smaller child than I am today. Yeah, that movie <laughs> okay. came out in two thousand one. Yeah, I was in I was in also in high school. So yes, less small, but it's been a second. It's been over twenty years. It's been a, hey, Definitely. happy twenty year anniversary to the majestic this year. <laughs> um, so it's been twenty years since I've seen that film once, uh, and I vaguely remember it being so. All this to say, Frank Darabont kind of gets this reputation for. Between Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, and then the Majestic being, he kind of gets this reputation for being kind of schmaltzy. He's like, he's like, oh, this he's just the new Frank Capra. He just makes these very heartfelt, you know, sort of like heart on your sleeve, like aw shucks movies. Mm-hmm. And then, so then he takes a six year break, and then he makes The Mist, which you already <laughs> sort of shouted out. Yeah, I, Ceci, do you love The Mist? Um. It was a really great adaptation. Yes. I'll probably never watch it again because it does end on kind of a bummer. It is the the nastiest ending of a movie, I think, anyone. Like, and also, if I remember correctly, that was not the ending in the book or in no, the short story. Exactly. That's, that's sort of the thing that is crazy about the end of The Mist is that. So Frank Darabont has directed four films. We have now named all the films that he directed. The Shawshank Redemption. The Green Mile, The Majestic, and The Mist. He he directed all four of those films. Three out of the four films that he directed are Stephen King adaptations. Two of them are prison Stephen King adaptations, which is especially funny to me. Um, and then he makes The Mist, and he yes, like he the ending. I, you know, for folks who have not seen The Mist, definitely seek it out. It is a crazy movie. Um, but, but also, just of, be be ready to be bummed out. Right. So, so uh, he takes a short story by Stephen King, and decides that the original ending in the in the short story is not depressing enough, and goes even harder into the themes of what that story is about, um, and just like the desolation that that comes from what's going on in that story, um. And then, uh, so so that alone, that that's an interesting filmography. The other thing that Frank Darabont is known for, at least in 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 these parts, in my brain, is he's the guy who championed for The Walking Dead to become a TV show. Yes. Um, and like developed and like was was the guy for the first season of that show, and then AFC came to him and said, "Hey." Here's the deal. We, you know, this show's obviously a big hit. It's made a big initial impact. Um, the, for the next season, it would be great if we could make twice as many episodes for 80% the cost. And he basically <laughs> tells them where they can shove it, um, but doesn't quit. Like, he does the opposite of what normally does. He's like, no, I'm not going to do that, but I'm also not going to quit this job because I basically brought this show to you. It was his idea to do the show. He says, and I, you know, you, you know, do what you're going to do, but I'm not, I can't work under those circumstances. Like, okay, well, guess what? You're fired. So he gets fired from that show after the first season. Um, yeah, that that's the totality of that story, but crazy circumstance of like, 
you had Frank Darabont. Like, you had this guy who does not make a lot of movies, who has not made, like, a lot of work over the years, you know, for better or worse. Um, and so you have this, this like, major name creative at the head of your show, and because you're trying to save some money, you decide to get to kick him to the curb. And obviously, yeah. Walking Dead has been successful for AFC since. It's not like that show immediately plummeted off a cliff. Um, either creatively or fiscally, um, but it's there's a wild world where um, Frank Darabont made multiple seasons of uh, a high class uh, zombie show for cable television, um, and we were robbed of that. Robbed, I say. <laughs> um, yeah, I could never get into The Walking Dead. Sorry. No, that's fine. Uh, and I, I mean, I, I love zombie movies. Right. But yeah, Walking Dead was just a little bit too much for me. Well, very much like The Mist, Walking Dead is 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 dire. Like it is it is not it does yeah. not fuck around and it's and and that's that's in the comic book. Like that's not just Darabont. But Dar- that's what Darabont like latched onto and like is definitely like the tone that he hit. And then like that show just kind of maintains that tone. Um, even if it kind of loses some of the integrity of like characterization and stuff like that first season of Walking Dead, I think is, I mean, you know, you're also just talking about AFC who only make depressing television programs. Um, uh, I'm sure that some, there are some corrective to that, but like all the shows that immediately come to mind are about broken people or broken situations. Um, so anyway, uh, so all that to say, Frank Darabont's a really interesting dude, and he's just on. He, this is another one of those weird ones where he's sort of been writing around. This is his. I I would have to double check this. I'm. Uh, he had done a couple shorts. Yeah, yeah. He he. So yeah, this is. You know, he, he doesn't do any directing on uh, Tales from the Crypt, which is a shame. Um. But he writes two episodes, and this is the first of the two episodes yeah. that he writes. So we um, have one more to look forward to, which we have one more to look forward. Right. Which, based on the quality of this episode, um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what that that second episode is. Yeah, um, let's get into it. Yeah, let's get into it. So this is Return of Chris Dummy. Uh, it does star. Um, uh, I name through him. Don, Don Rickles. Don Rickles. <laughs> uh, Mr. Warmth himself, Don Rickles. Uh, and uh, Bobcat Goldthwait, who I, I randomly mentioned a couple episodes again when we were talking about anno- actors with annoying voices. But his annoying <laughs> voice way toned down in this episode. Um, it kind of comes sometimes when his voice gets all more frantic, but for the most yeah. part, he's giving a pretty straight vocal when- when I was watching this and I uh, looked at the credits, uh, I saw, ooh, Don Rickles, interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I saw Bobcat Goldwyn is in this too. Wow. Like, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's... I was interested before, but now you have my attention. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. We, promise of evil uh, ventriloquist dummies already a high bar to clear. And then, yeah. It's bas- this episode's basically a two-hander. It's basically these two dudes. There are other like characters that are on the periphery, but they're not like of any great like significance, for yeah. lack of a better term. Like they're just kind of 
they're there and they're and they're doing their thing, but they're they're background characters for these two guys. Um, and generally, I I think Don Rickles is really good in this episode. Yeah, specifically, absolutely. Like I, I think he plays. We'll get into it, but I think he is fantastic. Don Rickles, for those who might who might not know, like sort of the father of insult comedy, um, and also the voice of Mr. Potato Head in the Toy Story movies. Uh, so, adorable yeah so millennials love them uh so yeah so we open on the crypt keeper um and this follow this uh passes the bar of opening segment is definitely about what the episode is about um which you have to imagine when the people who are responsible for these opening segments got the script it's like oh it's a dummy episode it's a dummy episode we can just do like a bunch of hammy vaudeville comedy bits here at the opening of this episode uh, and we don't have to like come up with an excuse for it because that's what they do anyway. But like they have like a one to one like line to how they can do it. And I didn't like time this, but I feel like this opening segment is much longer than they normally are because they have so much to work with. Um, in this premise, I honestly, don't remember the opening segment at all. I think I was oh. just like get. To the story. Get, get to it. You're like, I'm, I want my evil dummy. So it's him. So he gets yes. so he gets a package. He, he gets a package from the Hackme uh, Corporation from Battle Shriek, Michigan. Um, and he, he gets out this dummy and he's kind of playing around with the dummy. And the dummy calls him Death Breath, to which he uh, responds by tossing him into the fire and then transitions into the episode proper. But it's just a lot. It's just a lot of hamming it up and playing to the camera. Uh, which is perfect because then we transition into the nightclub where we uh, meet a ventriloquist named Mr. Ingalls, uh, who is performing with his dummy, Morty. And this crowd is eating up these dummy antics. Like they are just going hog wild for Mr. Ingalls and Morty uh, doing their whole bit. Um, which it's it's mostly just like little set up punchline uh slightly blue humor and then don rickles like breaking between jokes to just call out people like there's one point where he's like the fat guy's laughing at that one <laughs> i'm like that's a joke like that's not like you're just calling someone fat like you you have more grace than this but sure but people are loving it they're losing their shit i love this dummy humor Ceci, I here's a, a quick question for you do you think ventriloquism is funny no not at all no it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for you not really and here's the thing i like puppets sure Don't no really, I, I, not really to ventriloquism here on crypt speakers we're very pro puppets like i think that that is uh a, a, a known fact that yes you know a, a goofy puppet is our main entry point to this show so we're oh, all yeah. for puppets <laughs> i Here's my thing. I think the like skill of ventriloquism is really impressive. Like people who can do it really oh, yeah. well, it's very impressive. I don't know why it is that people who can do that really well often have either very hacky or just like straight up racist senses of humor. <laughs> like I don't know why ventriloquism as a skill seems to appeal to people with lowest common denominator talent. Uh, Do you consider the, a triumph the insult dog ventriloquist? Well, no, that's, that's a puppet. No, yeah, that's a puppet because you don't because 
Because you don't see yes. the person who's performing on on screen. Like that's that's what distinguishes ventriloquism is that the you don't see their lips moving mm-hmm. uh, bit. And here it's clearly. I mean, I I don't you know I don't want to speak ill of the dead or anything, but I don't. I mean, I don't think Don Rickles is actually doing ventriloquism here. I think he's it's oh, just yeah. his 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 voice dubbed over at a higher pitch. Um, in post, but because he's, 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 if he is doing it, he's perfect. Like he's just staring at it while it's talking. Um, but yeah, he's, I don't think he is, he's doing any of it, which as we'll see later is, is fine for like what's going on in the episode. Um, but it, it, they make no attempt really to even convince you that he's actually doing ventriloquism. Um, but one of the kids, one of the people in the audience who's eating it up is this, is the young boy, Billy Goldman. Uh, who is just enraptured by this flawless ventriloquism that he's seeing. And after the show, he goes to get a signature from Mr. Ingalls. And that's where Billy reveals he wants to be a ventriloquist because he has very low standards for himself. And uh, Mr. Ingalls says, hey, you know, when you grow up, if you uh, want somebody to tell you what's what, I got your back. Um, and yeah. But also his his mom is like, um... Can you just like please tell him to be a doctor? Right, please, please, <laughs> Can you... please, please tell him not to do this, not to yeah. waste his life doing. Like, yeah. don't encourage him at weird like resort nightclubs because we're gonna get into this. So after this conversation, we have this short moment where we cut backstage and there's a woman asking Ingalls out to go on a date, and he's clearly nervous about something, and so he's he's like, oh, I'm just not feeling it. I'm just gonna stay home. Uh, but she's like, oh, come on. And then Morty speaks up and says that, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go. We have to go. And uh, Ingalls is like, oh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, no, I don't think this is a good idea. Um, but um, he, he eventually, like, you know, the woman is talking to Morty. He's like, oh, you're cute and you're not bad either, talking to Ingalls and then and leaves. And then uh, as she's leaving, um, Ingalls, looks at uh, Morty and kind of turns his head around um, because he's uh, upset about what's going on. Um, so this is, this is what I was, I was, I was wanting to get to though. We, we cut to like, it's like a motel that's attached to the nightclub. I wasn't entirely sure. Like, I think this is just supposed to be like a tourist destination where there's this nightclub that has like variety show acts, but you can like stay overnight at the attached motel. Am, am, am I, I guess. Even doing that wrong? Like that, that seemed to be like, it's like a resort. Uh, it, yeah. It could be maybe like cabins or something. Right. But he, but he's like in a room next door. Like he's like in a building next to the club and then a fire breaks out at the club. So he's still there when the fire breaks out and he like watches this fire at the club. Um, uh, and then um, we, at this point we cut to 15 years later, Billy is now Bobcat Goldthwait again, not giving us quite the full, uh, you know, shotgun blast of his scratchy voice, though it does pop up every once in a while to let you know um, this is um, in fact him. Um, and he's tracked down, down, Mr. Ingalls, 15 years later. And we kind of learned through their conversation that that show that he saw him at was his very last performance. Um, that, you know, that there's that terrible fire which claimed the life of the woman who 
had been asking out Ingalls on a date. And also quite curious, quite curious, very strange that that uh, just happened to happen. And then um, also uh, scarred his hand so he could never perform again. And there's this brief moment where Billy's like, you could use the other hand. He's like, my my left hand. What are you nuts? That's not where the magic (laughs) is, which is a which is a great excuse for why uh, he had to do this. To be um, fair, if you're right-handed, oh, I'm sure. And no, then as someone, who, someone, yeah, like as it's preposterous. Who, as someone who plays guitar, like I, I, it's not like I can just like switch which hand I do specific things with. Like, like, yeah, like no, I totally get that. There's a part where it's like, yeah, like your handedness and your dexterity with certain hands is going to benefit you one way or another. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so he's talking about all this. And, uh, you know, weirdly, my favorite part of this whole scene is Billy's like, oh, look at all these newspaper clippings, all these memories. I mean, here's the one about the time that you did that last show and that lady died in a fire. It's like, why would you pick that one? <laughs> like, if you wanted to, like, find a, a, a good, a solid memory. Because I don't think at this point he necessarily suspects anything. Like, I don't think he's, like, investigating. He's, he's not, like, playing detective trying to figure out oh, if no, he was yeah, responsible not for the all. fire. Um, but it there, it's just a bizarre choice for him to do. But I mean, um, that was the one that he was that he went to, right? No, that's the whole, yeah, that's the whole connection. Is that he was at that show, and then when he was at the weird side motel, he saw the fire, and then and that was his last show. Like that, that's the whole sequence. Is that he was there for his last show, and has dedicated the last fifteen years to learning the art of ventriloquism, sort of. And uh, he asks Ingalls, says, "Hey." I'm going to be doing a show at the Nautical Club, the same club that was the last one Ingalls performed at, for their amateur night. And it would really mean a lot to me if you showed up. And Ingalls is eventually like, no way, I'm done. Like, why are, you, why are you here? Why are you bothering me? Clearly, this is a waste of everybody's time. The hero um, has to refuse the call. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I guess that, that applies here. Um, and then uh, as he's leaving, he was like, I'll think about it, kid. Um, and then we get a short moment where he mysteriously asks Morty what he thinks. Um, but we cut away before we hear Morty's response. Um, and that's when we cut to Nautical Club Amateur Night, which seems like my kind of hang. <laughs> because as much as I don't find ventriloquism funny, I do find it impressive. And there's there's something about the energy. So this whole thing has the big energy of an elementary school talent show, but all the participants are desperate adults. And it's 100% a thing I would go to. (laughs) I don't know about you, but these are the kinds of things that after quarantine, I want to give myself over to going to hacky amateur nights at weird uh, vaudevillian uh, borscht belt uh, nightclubs. I've decided oh, yeah. this is my new life that I want to go. Absolutely. Yeah. If uh here's my second question for you. If you were to perform at amateur night at the nautical club, what would be your what would be your skill that you would try to bust out here? Stand up. Yeah, you would just do some stand up? Yeah. Alright. Yeah. But I, I, I wanna do bad stand up. I wanna do like uh Neil Hamburger type of stand up. Sure, like, like anti comedy type yes, stuff. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> what I wanna do. 
all right, ah, I, I, th- this seems to be the place for it. <laughs> kind of a rough crowd, but I think that it would fit the mood of the, the space uh, fairly well. Um, but yeah, so Billy's backstage and he's he's sweating bullets. I should mention, Bobcat Goldthwait's very sweaty throughout this episode. Um, but he's he's very nervous and he's like kind of like, uh, I don't know if I should be here. So um, that's interesting that you mentioned this because I actually like knew about Bobcat Goldwaite just through his stand-up, but by listening to it, not I've never seen I had never sure. seen him. Okay. Because there used to be a radio station here in Austin that I loved. Yes. Uh it was 102.7. It they only played like bits of stand-up from different comedians as if as if they were songs. Right. And so right. instead of playing music, they would play like five to ten minutes of a stand-up routine. Yes, exactly. And it was just like, you know, all day, um hardly any commercials that I remember. Yeah. And it was be cool because it would be like themed. Like you would have like a, a like a series of like here's like a bunch of bits about baseball and here's a bunch of bits about dating. Like you would like have like these like running themes that they would hit and then like yeah they would have like a short commercial break and then come back and then do more. Yeah. And it was my absolute favorite station. Like I listened to it all the time. Um and Bobcat Gold, like I remember that they would play his bits and mm-hmm. like that's where I learned about him and and um and who he is and became a fan of his stand up. Sure. And uh unfortunately that radio station didn't last very long. I think maybe maybe a year. Yeah. Uh, a year, if that, yeah. Maybe, yeah. Which is a huge bummer because it's still to this day probably like my favorite concept for a radio station. Um and yeah, but the point that I was trying to make here, though, is that I didn't actually know what he looked like until I saw mm. this. And then, I mean, this was obviously, like, shot in 1990. So right. <laughs> now my my vision of him is probably very different. Yeah. Uh, he has a very he handsome like beard now, so. now. He also doesn't do the voice anymore. Like, that. that's one of the things that, yeah. like, he, he more or less, like, fessed up to, like, that the voice was more or less completely put on. Mm-hmm. Um and it's a character, I, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember where I heard this, but there's, I think it was a clip for like him being on a podcast or something. There was a really funny bit there. He did. It was like, "Hi, I'm Bobcat Goldthwait. I don't sound like that anymore <laughs> unless you pay me to." Nice. What's a funny bit? Um, I mainly know him as he is in uh, the Country Bears. Huh. The Country Bears. I'm not see. <laughs> <laughs> I. This is crossing the streams over into other podcast fandom. I have not fallen down the uh, Country Bears hole yet. Uh, mostly because I haven't had time. That movie sounds delightful. Um, no, I... Uh, is he actually in that? Uh, this is. Um, my, my main point of entry for Bobcat Goldthwait is he is in three of the Police Academy movies as Zed. Whoa. Um, and so as a child who loved Police Academy movies... I was um, going to ask you if you're if uh, you had a a parental figure that was really into those because my dad loved those movies and I not so much to be honest. Yeah, like no, I mean, it was... they're, they're very dumb, like they're incredibly <laughs> dumb movies. Um, I don't think no, it wasn't my dad who like I just I I even as a child and this is still true of me. Um, I um have always 
taken to series of films. There's something about a a like set of films that yes. this um, explains a lot. Yeah, like like just like there's something about like the like connective tissue, blah blah. Like there's something about like the growth of a franchise that has always appealed to me. And so when like and like as a kid, I li- I liked watching comedies. Like uh, I got that was probably my favorite genre of movie as a kid was sort of like broad, like you know your airplanes, your very silly, your naked guns, those kinds of like very broad comedies. And so the Police Academy movies were this like perfect storm of like it had a lot of characters that like were very unique and very cartoonish. There were a ton of them. Um, and they were all at my local blockbuster. So like, yeah, I'll be like, oh, you know, I'm going to just run through all the Police Academy movies. Not the first one, because that one's rated R, but like two through six, I think there are. I would just, I would just run wow. those like on rotation. Um, I've also never seen Shakes the Clown, which is, his, I think, his only directorial effort, um, which people have very divided opinions about. But um, I've not seen it either. See. Yeah, I'm curious about it, um, but never seen it. Um, so yeah, Bobcat Goldthwait's Billy is kind of like, you know, backstage. He's sweating bullets. He's really nervous about the situation. But he, but who walks in? But an upstanding guy, Mr. Ingalls, walks in at the last moment. And that gives him the boost of confidence he needs to get out there, get on that stage, and have his dang dummy's head just fall right off. Um, and <laughs> to be fair, that dummy looked really bad. Oh, I mean, it's a it's a real cheap dummy. I mean, everything about this guy is he's got matching jackets, which I think is a, is a, is is a fun fun gimmick, but definitely immediately makes him look like a child that he's wearing matching, you know, clothes to his doll. Um, and then like that, his dummy head falls off, and he just he can't recover. And this is when Donner starts using those weird disorienting lenses that he used in um that cat's real gone. And I love it here because it's, it's 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 like giving a visual cue for his stage fright and his like loss of confidence that he can do this. And also, to be fair, his jokes were not good at all. I mean, his only joke he has set up is uh, I just flew in from somewhere and the audience is like, so your arms are tired. And he's like, oh, you've heard you've heard that one. Um, uh, Mr. Ingalls is here. And then that's his whole like he just completely bombs. And, like, it, it's hard to tell if, like, he just was always going to bomb that hard or if, like... Oh, just I something... think so. Yeah, you don't even think he just didn't have it. So, yeah. So yeah, I mean, just... if you're going to open your your set with, I just flew flew in from New Jersey and, boy, my, are my arms tired. Like, right. it's just not the strongest. Sure. You, you, don't, you, you, don't, you didn't bring original material to the... Unless... Uh, unless, unless he was going somewhere with that, sure. Unless, unless he was, was gonna subvert was the joke, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But or you know maybe he's doing your hot anti comedy. He's like, this is just terrible, isn't it? Aren't dummies the worst? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, but no, like, but you you get the panic in the moment, and you get him like just like grasping for something to do, and he just he calls out that Mister Ingalls is there, but like the crowd's already gone, and like this is a rough crowd. Um, and he's lost them immediately. Um, and so we just kind of get a couple awkward moments of him just stumbling over his words and trying to find a, a footing, but never quite getting there. Um, and so after the show, we're sort of in this like balcony bar area 
And uh, Mr. Ingalls is sitting at a bar and a, and a pretty lady comes up and is like, hey, uh, you're good looking. You want to buy me a drink? And he's like, oh, Which, no. like, hold up. <laughs> For real? You're going to come in and be like, look at Don Rickles and be like, yeah. Look at that I hottie. want me some of that. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> but uh, I, well, actually, I think she said something like, you remind me of my grandpa. Which is, yeah, which is which, which is what every guy wants to hear. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey, I mean, Ceci, don't yuck other people's yums. Like, if Don Rickles That's is somebody's true. types, you know, if someone's really into mean grandpas, who, who are we to judge? Yeah. We don't kink shame here. We don't kink shame here, for sure. Um, I think that we can all agree with that. Um, anyway, how, that said, uh, we do kind of um, move out of that that whole scene, um, and then we get into uh, the next. Uh, the, the, well, we we get out of that conversation, I should say, and then Billy comes up and is like, "I don't know. Did you see how I did?" And Ingalls initially is like, oh, you know, hey, you just got to get another go at it. You know, you, you you got promise, kid. You can do this, blah, blah. And Billy's like really feeling his out here. And he's like, you, you really think that? Ingalls is like, no, nah, I'm bullshit. And you, you, you're awful. <laughs> like, you really need to, you would be better if you just got into something else. Because I don't think you can hack it uh, in this business. Um, and Billy seems to take that pretty well. Like, he's kind of like, uh, uh, um, and, but, you know, he, he, he sulks off. And as he does, Ingalls goes and, um, settles up to the woman at the bar. He passes, uh, as he's going over to, to sit at the bar with this other lady, um, he passes a woman and a guy sitting at the bar sharing a little smooch. I don't know if you caught that when he's going past to over there, there are two people sitting at the bar who, uh, share a smooch. And uh, the two people at the bar have a little uh, kissy kiss is uh, the director, Richard Donner, and uh, Don Rickles' daughter, Mindy Rickles. Have a little kiss right there. I did notice that she was in it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so they, they have a little uh, little smooch. So just fun little cameo there. Uh were they and, dating by any chance, or was that just a? No, hey. I think it was just. I think it was like, hey, I'm, I want to make a little uh, Alfred Hitchcockian uh, cameo, and I'm gonna kiss my star's daughter because I'm just gonna. I'm just mad with power. My name is Richard Donner. Uh, no, as far as I know, he was he was already married to his wife at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just just a weird little uh, moment for you. Um, but anyway, at, as I was saying, Billy was keeping his cool in the club. But as he gets outside, he's losing it. Like, he's screaming at his dummy. He's saying, everyone was right. I'm a loser. This is a dumb idea that I had. Um, and he throws the dummy into a dumpster. And as this is just happening, all this is happening, there's suddenly, like, a, a car crash is happening near him. And there's a woman in the car who's bad, badly injured and, and pretty clear that she's not going to make it. Um, and... uh he quickly realized Billy quickly realizes that this is the woman that he saw approaching Ingalls at the bar. And at this point, he's like the coincidence of him coming to this one bar two times and a woman dying is just too convenient. 
Now, I don't think he knows that the other woman at the bar, or the other woman, like, was asking him to, to go out. But for whatever reason, he, he makes this connection of, like, nope, this smells fishy. This this car stinks of gas. Uh, I think he's probably trying to burn her up, too. I'm going to go confront my idol. Um, I'm, I'm having a bad night as is. Why not just add this on top of it? Um, and this is when this uh, episode really kicks into high gear because he go Billy goes, he's, he's amped on failure and being a suddenly a detective. And he goes and like, he's like you, that girl who was talking to you at the bar, she ended up dead. Her car stunk of gas. I know you killed her. And also at this point, I think it's really interesting. If just thinking meta for a second, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, this is tales from the crypt. And there was a ventriloquist, and there therefore a dummy involved. And I've been expecting right. something. So either either is you know evil dummy, dummy is a killer, or hey, maybe maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just that the ventriloquist himself is a serial killer. hundred percent. That's a great point. Yes, either of those things. I'm like, yeah, let's see it. What is it? And even any of those things weren't. Weren't quite right. Uh, yes, and yes. It, it, yeah, it's I, important to to. There's no where this episode goes from up, to, up, up past this point. Completely didn't see it. There's there's and 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 earlier that's like a failure on us, like not missing a clue or something. Like it's just out of complete left field where where we're about to go. I'm just preparing you, dear listener, if you've not watched this episode. What happens next is I feel like I say ride. this a lot on this show. Um, but it's maybe the craziest thing that's happened on this show so far. <laughs> Certainly the most unpredictable thing that's happened on this show yes. so far. Like that, so that I far. think is, is unquestionable. Um, but so, we, so he goes to confront him and Ingalls is like, no, I didn't kill them. M- Morty did. He like actually has this very specific point where it's like Morty hates women specifically because he's jealous because Ingalls can be with all these women and, and Morty can't. And Billy, who's like real hot at this moment, like suddenly like takes like this weird soft compassion. He's like, "Oh, hey, like we can find you people who can help. Like clearly you you're crazy. Like clearly you're unwell, yeah. and you think the dummy did this when you actually did it. Um, let's 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 get you to a doctor. Let's really like let's not let's not fool around. Let's go to get this taken care of." And. In, at, at that, Ingalls definitely like escalates. Like he's definitely like, no, I'm I'm not. No, you think it's I'm crazy. You think I'm a lunatic? You think I'm crazy? Like, hey, you better get out of here before Morty does something. Oh, I missed a huge thing. This is I can't believe I jumped over this. When Billy gets to his house, Ingalls is shooting up morphine or about to oh, shoot up morphine. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Like when he walks in, he's like, got a needle. Like that's, that's sort of the first like key point. Like, hey guys, buckle in because we have hit the acceleration on this episode and it's going to only get crazier from here. So yeah, he runs in, he's about to shoot up morphine um, and Billy like runs in and knocks it out of his hand and knocks the vial on the ground. And that really sets off. Yeah. Ingalls. Cause you're like, oh, you're possibly a killer, but you're also definitely a junkie. Right. Yeah, so they're so they're having this whole conversation, and like he's like, you know, you better leave before Morty does something. And he's like, hey, Morty's just a dummy. Like he's like, look, I'll get the box down. He gets his, like the case down, and he's opening it up. I was like, and it, and he's like, it's, he's only cloth and wood. Look, 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 look. 
And he pulls them out, and Morty's head is missing, which is interesting. But I mean, clearly, like, I bet that's how dummies are typically packed, that, like, their heads are separate from the rest of their body, and you mm-hmm. have to assemble them when you get them out. But he's, like, pulling it out. And before he can, like, fully unpack Morty, Ingalls attacks him with a cleaver. Like, he, like, runs at him, and they have this struggle with this cleaver. And, like, they're, like, struggling for a second. But uh, they kind of get separated. And at this point, Ingalls is, like, completely over it. He's just like, hey, I told you to leave. So anything that happens from here on out, it's on you. And he's like, you think that that, that, that dummy is Morty, but it's not. Look in there. And he, like, kind of, like, rummages around. And he finds, like, this mask that looks like a dummy's face, which is very bizarre looking. But not as bizarre as when Ingalls finally takes the cloth that's been over his injured hand the whole episode, his quote-unquote injured hand the whole episode, and reveals that Morty is just, is is a face at the end of his hand. It's a straight-up quato for, for you Total Recall fans. It's just a, <laughs> not even a half a person. It's just a, a, a wormy a head. On the end of his fist. And he says, Morty's my brother. Morty, I think was supposed to be my twin brother, but instead, when I was born, I just had him on my hand. And by my hand, I mean my brother. Meet my brother, Morty. It's like, what? <laughs> and, and, and it's kind of like the... Ooh. I was going to say, it's kind of like the prestige, but I don't want to give it away if someone hasn't seen it. Oh sure, yeah. No, it, <laughs> it is. I will, I will say it's extremely kind of like the Prestige. <laughs> yes, tells yeah, from the crypt exactly like the Prestige. Yes. Um. So he. Uh. So yeah, they're they're talking and like obviously Billy's losing it at this point at this reveal, and like and at this point like Morty's like talking again and like kind of like explaining like, you know, oh I was the one who actually was like the the real comedic star. Like it was me who was coming up with all the jokes and. This dude, I don't think they ever say Ingalls' name and like his first name the whole episode, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But like he's like this guy was just you know riding my coattails. I was the the real brains of the operation. And so but, you kind of realize at that point that like he has really no talent because he's all he's doing is just having Morty you tell all the jokes. Right. And he has to pretend that he's a ventriloquist by kind of moving his mouth, but not really. So, right. No, yeah. It's 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 definitely like one of those things where like you realize that like the whole Morty was the one who was like the driving force behind their act, and and that he's he's this guy who's just been riding his coattails. So he's kind of trapped in this because like this is what would like make the money and stuff. And you know his his brother's attached to his hand. His brother is his hand. He's not even attached to his hand. His brother is his hand. Um. And he, so he's like having this whole moment and, but again, this is where we, we kind of, he kind of makes it because he said earlier that Morty is very willful is what he keeps saying. And what that, mm-hmm. what I think that means here, like what's revealed here is that Morty, cause he has his own like brain cause he's a person can yeah. kind of take over Ingle's body and like make him do stuff. So like he doesn't even remember causing the fire of the, the first lady. He doesn't, re- he doesn't remember the circumstances around these murders. He just knows that he did them because Morty is controlling his body and making him do these things. Um, and explains why he was trying to shoot up 
some morphine. Right. Know, presumably that was that was to calm him down. The, right. The morphine basically his whole yeah he has a whole speech here too was like I I use the morphine to keep him at basically the morphine causes him to go to sleep more or less. Um, but you messed that up because you met because like I didn't I didn't a I didn't have my daily morphine fix uh when i was supposed to so i i I killed another lady and now uh you smashed the rest of it so more is going to be complete control now nothing i can do about it certainly can't get more morphine um this is really an episode about the opioid crisis in america i think we're we're realizing here at the end of this episode um but he's (laughs) so they at this point Don Rickles is like tracking him down. He's like chop trying to chop him. And through very convoluted staging, it gets to a point where he's basically laying on top of Bobcat Goldthwait and like Morty, the the worm man, is like laying kind of across his neck and is egging him on to kill Billy. Like he's like, oh, you know, just get him. He also has like this super high pitched voice. Um, he sounds like what I say the, the Crypt Keeper sounds like at the end of every episode. So from now on, imagine that's Morty talking at every end of every episode of uh, Crypt Speakers. Uh, but Morty's like, ah, oh, yeah, just kill him. Just, you know, get rid of him. And uh, he brings the cleaver down, but he like pushes Billy out of the way and he cuts, he basically, he cuts his hand off and kills Morty. Or he cuts his, yeah, he cuts his or hand off and, and, and thinks he? he's killed Morty. And so, like, they're both, like, collapsing down. And he's like, hey, I think you're going to bleed out. And he's like, ah, you know, whatever. It's I'm, He has the great one-liner. I'm splitting up the act. Um, and uh, he uh, is kind of sitting down. And, like, he's clearly had peace in this, in this decision that he's made. Like, he may die, but he's fine with that. Because Morty's gone. But nope, Morty's just a, a worm person now. <laughs> it's like skittering around and like runs out from like behind a table jumps on Don Rickles and bites his throat out like yeah in an in a whole sequence that had some really gnarly stuff in it i think that this is takes the cake for like holy shit what's happening in this episode <laughs> um so yeah he jumps up bites his neck out kills him and then is like running around this like cottage shack thing um, and Billy's, Billy's trying to kill him. And this is when, unfortunately, one of my least favorite things about Tales from the Crypt, the goofy music starts coming up, which this is a very goofy scene. Like this whole sequence is very silly because it's basically Morty and Billy trading insults back and back and forth. Um, but I could do without the Looney Tunes music at this point. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. Like at least you're there owning what they are, but uh, I just hate that music cue that the show uses sometimes. Um, but this ends with Billy finding a loose board, smacking Morty with a baseball bat, and getting him into a meat grinder, leading to my favorite line of this whole episode: "I'm making an asshole casserole, and you're the main ingredient," <laughs> which is about the hardest I've laughed at this show yet. Um, uh, but and at this point, Morty's like, being like, oh, yeah, oh, please don't, please don't. I'll do anything, I swear. Which I've seen enough pornography to know where that, that line usually mm-hmm. leans. Um, but it doesn't go there. Um, Billy, we has don't his, know. Well, I guess we, yeah, we cut away, so we don't necessarily know 
what what immediately happens after. But what we do know that happens is that uh, Billy decides to go into business with Morty. He's like, hey, you know, I well, we will make an agreement, and we'll, but you'll get to keep doing your thing, and I'll be part, and, and I'll be the the new head of the ventriloquism, which. The end of this episode kind of has like layers to it. It's like a it's like a party dip because you think that's going to be sort of the big send off of like, oh, and now he didn't kill Morty. Now Morty's still out there and Billy's controlling him, sort of. Uh, and but then when they're like at the club, this uh, hot babe sits in the front row and Morty just can't he can't help himself. Who happens to be Don Rickles's daughter. Oh, is that his daughter? Oh, is she come back there again? Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, so yeah, so double double dip in there, but yeah, she comes back, um, and she's uh, yeah, he's just like going like crazy for. He's like, I can't get over how hot this girl is, and she's so crazy hot. Which that's even creepier because that's Don Rickles' voice, I think, <laughs> saying all that stuff. Um, so that's creepy. Anyway. Uh, so they have that conversation and then, um, and then, but Billy's like, Hey, knock it off. And we had this agreement. Like, you're not going to do like, there's not, we're not going to kill ladies. We had an arrangement, you know, you know, the rules, which Marty says that he's rewriting their contract and Billy starts screaming out in pain. And at this point, the crowd seems kind of just like, oh, whatever, ventriloquism, who cares? And then he pulls off the dummy and he re- reveals a Morty exists, which I'm sure was a big shock to the audience. Um, and also that Morty has somehow fused to his body so that like now he's going to have mm-hmm. a Morty hand. Um, and uh, that's, that's, that's it. That's, the, that's it folks. That's how we <laughs> that's end this episode. Um, and but we do come back to the Crypt Keeper who gets a, a trio of one-liners about Billy needing a hand. How people will do anything to get ahead in show business, mm-hmm. and then he, uh, he he has this whole bit about like um, who who's the real dummy. <laughs> so yeah, uh, what an episode. So see, I think I think we we. Our opinions on this one have already been fairly well established at this point, but uh, in your mind, would you call this a keeper or a stinker? Oh, a keeper, 100%. I mean, first of all, great cast, Mm -hmm. great writer, like the whole, everyone involved, like shooting on all cylinders. I mean, this is Tales from the Crypt, so it's it's not high art. But sure. it's like everybody involved is great in it. Uh, but it is high trash. This is like yes, this is this is one hundred percent high trash. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think that yeah. I also am in the keeper camp for this one. I, I this is one hundred percent what I signed up for. You know what I mean? This type of yeah. stuff. Oh yeah. No, no, yeah. I think this is this is both what we were expecting. I think we were both expecting this to be the the pace that every episode of the show was, and the fact that it's not been as kind of been of a bummer. So when you finally get an episode like this, like we've had like two episodes in a row now that we've been fairly, you know, like we're like, yeah, grossed this episode's fine. <laughs> well, yeah, we're grossed out about, but also like, like been like, this thing's well made. Like, you know, like there, there's a craftsmanship and to it. Boring. Also, you know, I mm. guess for every, for every ventriloquist, evil, 
conjoined twin story. We have to sit through at least three or so insurance schemes going awry. Sure. Yeah, another another tale of uh, lurid infidelity. No infidelity yes. in this episode, uh, unless you can. So. I mean, you you do have ladies being murdered, so so that uh, old chestnut does show up. Um, but uh, yeah, this episode's crazy. I this is also a keeper for me. I think you, you I can't really sell enough how committed Don Rickles is in this episode. Yeah. Of of being a tortured uh has been comedian who happens to have a brother for a hand. Like it's such a crazy character to get in the mindset of and like but I think it like really like even before you know what's going on, you can see that there's so- there's something underneath this guy's skin that is really eating at him and like there's some- something he's trying to get away from. And like every scene he carries the weight of that and then when it finally is revealed and he like allow- he's allowed to like go big. It's this very like cathartic ecstatic thing that I think works so well and he's so locked into this weird little thing. And Bob Gagwell plays also very good, but Don Rickles, like this is some of the best like performance I've seen from him. Cause I think Don Rickles can be a little hacky sometimes, like intentionally. So like he he's, he's from an older age of comedy, yeah. but uh, he, I don't, it's just something about his performance in this episode that really like, stuck out to me as being one of the the better ones. I, I actually went back and checked, like, did he get a nominee for an Emmy for this one? Because he absolutely should have been. Um, but he he's not uh, our next Emmy nomination. But uh, he definitely would be on my ballot if I... I don't even know who votes for the Emmys, but I I, I would have afforded uh, him as a possibility because I think he's really strong in this episode. Um, yeah. So check it out. Do you have different- any casting the crypt? I do have so this is again a two-hander. Like you really have two people. Ah, two-hander. Um, and I think that I kind of worked somewhat backwards. Um, of uh, I think um, Keegan Michael Key would be really good as the Billy character in this one, of be of being that sort of wide-eyed, like you know, optimist who who has this like sudden realization of like, oh no, I. Not only am I bad at this, but this business that I've been interested in is kind of shitty. Like, like I think that he could play that really well. And so I wanted to do another black actor as sort of the elder statesman. And I was like, well, I, I don't really have someone who was, who's quite as old guard as, well, maybe. Now that I'm, I'm doing the math in my head. What I've landed on was I think Eddie Murphy would be good as the Mr. Ingalls, like, counterpart in this. Mm-hmm. And so I think Keegan-Michael Key and, and Eddie Murphy would do a fun version of this uh, thing. Nice. I actually, my first instinct was to say, uh, obviously, Bob Goldwaith should play the Ingle part. And mm, then have, that would be fun. Yeah, and then just have another young, um, up-and-coming uh, comedian play the younger version. Um, but then I thought, you know what, that feels played out and as much as I like the episode I'm not a huge fan of <laughs> this uh this dummy is a misogynist and likes to kill women because it's, he it's can't a very, have sex with women yeah because that's, it's that... literally like oh okay this uh the hand was an insult uh before that was a coined term back in 1990 sure. 
Uh, at least and, it at least it like reveals that that's a bad thing. Like this, yeah, like, at like least is, they they do come down on that. But I still yeah. I just I kind of don't like that, and I don't like how throwaway it was. It's, it's, like, a, it's a, he hates women because he can't ever have one. Right. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's 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 basically an explanation of why like like why why this behavior. Which and honestly, you don't need one. You yeah, just he's have, just a crazy killer. Like that's all you yeah. you, you don't you don't need to like justify it. it. Like here's exactly. why. There doesn't need to be an episode of Criminal Minds where we get into the psychology of why the um, man who is a hand um, n- needs to have some deeper reason for why he's killing people. And so what I thought is, what if we turned it on its head and instead of doing a uh, misogynist uh, dummy, why not have uh, the opposite, I guess, uh, instead of having misogyny, have some misandry and have... Everyone's fa- uh, it's really hot right now, I hear. <laughs> ben Shapiro <laughs> tells me that's a, all over the place. Just uh, have a gender-swapped uh, cast and have, like, an uh, yeah an older comedian, like a Lisa Lampanelli on the uh, Don Rickles spot, and then another, um, I guess, younger comedian... I don't know, maybe like a Eliza or Kristen Wiig or some mm. someone like that. Uh, in I think the, Lisa Lepinelli is fairly inspired because, like, of her like she was sort she's, of the insult comedy exactly. person for a, a hot minute. Yes, yeah. uh, I think she recently said that she is not doing that anymore because she wants to be yes. more. Yeah, she she she's had a real like yes change in her kind perspective of, on comedy, yes. which I think is cool. Yeah. And I, I really, uh, I respect that, but I thought, you know, let's, uh, kind of do a gender swap for that. And then also let's just not have the dummy just kill just anybody. Let's just specifically have the dummy kill like sleaze bad men. Mm. Like have some, some more motivation behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Some like, oh yeah, these are like creepy old dudes. Uh, creeping on like younger women and being just general creeps or you know this uh, dude was cheating on his wife or stuff like that like have it be more of a I mean they're still they're still killing people but at least there's a, a little bit of a thought behind like the selection of who and I don't know I thought that might be an interesting update uh to the story sure I can get along with that yeah no I think um those are all uh, worthwhile um, comments on it. Yeah, like I, I, I kind of like went over, I glossed over it. But yeah, there, there's a very strange moment where he's like, "Oh, he hates women," and because he can't, yeah, because like, he can't be with women, and you know, I, I, I'm getting with all these hot babes, and he hates it. Uh, and a, as you said, not really a necessary plot point. We need to like get into specifically. Um, also, how, like, how, like, what. If you got, I, again, I'm not kink shaming anybody. I have to imagine having a brother for a hand is going to make being intimate kind of difficult. I'm just guessing. Um, but I guess you could just turn the lights down can low. You, can you put the doll away? No, no, no. No, 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 he no. He likes to watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, I guess there are, there are ways technically that you could get around it. But yeah, it's it seems like it'd be a a big hindrance to uh yeah in the sexy times all right 
I did yeah, cool. want to uh, I did want to close that real quick by uh, I guess talking about something because okay. with uh, with the ventriloquist and the dummy, I started thinking why are why are dummies um, so terrifying? Why are dolls so terrifying? Yes, uh, because you you see it a lot and like. I don't know, Annabelle, I think, came out very recently. And it's always, like, the evil doll, Chucky. And, you know, what? what is it about that that is so scary? And I actually kind of... I was trying to do some some research on, on evil dolls. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't really find anything of, like, what is the source of people being afraid of dolls other than uh, we think it dates back to, like, voodoo? That's literally all I found out. And I was Oof. like, well... That was helpful. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and I was like, okay, (laughs) that really doesn't seem like like what I was looking for. But what I did come across is uh, something kind of interesting that I'd like to use to maybe close out. Uh, So this is a bit of a a scary tale, uh, which I found on uh, Creepypasta. So this is uh, how to play one man hide and seek. So (laughs) one man hide and seek aka the one-man tag, is a ritual for contacting the dead. The spirits, which are wandering restless on the earth, are always looking for bodies to possess. In this ritual, you will summon such a spirit by offering it to a doll instead of a human body. Warning, if you have psychic abilities, you may feel unwell or be prone to accidents during the ritual. Things you will need. One stuffed doll. It must have limbs. Rice, enough to stuff the doll full. One needle and one crimson thread. One pair of nail clippers. One sharp-edged tool such as a knife, glass shard, or scissors. One cup of salt water. Natural salt would be best, but if you don't have natural salt, store-bought is fine. A bathroom with a bathtub and some other uh, form of counter. A hiding place, preferably a room purified by incense. There must be a TV in there. Why? Don't know. Preparation. Take out whatever the doll is stuffed with. Once all the stuffing is removed, uh, once all the stuffing is removed, restuff it with rice. Why? Don't know. (laughs) Clip off a few pieces of your nails, okay, and put them inside the doll. Gross. Sew up the opening with the crimson thread. When you finish sewing, tie up the doll with the rest of the thread. Go to the bathroom and fill your bathtub with water. Return to your hiding place and put the cup of salt water on the ground. How to do it. Give a name to your doll. The name can be any but your own. When the time is 3 a.m., don't know when, if it's 3 a.m. your time, my time, where, doesn't matter. 3 a.m. Say, your name is the first it to the doll three times. Go to the bathroom and put the doll into the water-filled bathtub. Turn off all the lights in your house, go back to the hiding place, and switch on the TV. After counting to ten with your eyes closed, return to the bathroom with the edge tool in your hand. So, I guess whatever, scissors or whatever you ended up choosing. Go to the bathtub and say to the doll, I have found you, the doll's name. And then stab the doll with the edge tool three times. Uh, then say, you're the next it, the doll's name, and as you take the doll out of the bathtub and leave it on the counter in the bathroom. As soon as you have put the doll down, run back to the hiding place and hide. 
how to finish. Assumedly, I guess by this point, perhaps the doll found you? Don't know. <laughs> Pour half of the cup of salt water into your mouth. Do not drink it, just keep it there. Get out of your hiding place and start looking for the doll. The doll is not necessarily in the bathroom. Whatever happens, do not spit out the salt water. <laughs> when you find the doll, pour the rest of the salt water in the cup over it, then spit out the salt water in your mouth onto it as well. Say, I win, three times. And this is supposed to end the ritual. After this, make sure you dry the doll, burn, and discard it later. Uh, most important. Please okay. do not stop this ritual halfway. You must do it on to, until the end. This is a dangerous ritual, and I will not be responsible for what happens to you if you try, says Creepypasta. Uh, is, is that the end of our tutorial? Yes. <laughs> so this Very... is how you play one man hide and seek. All right. Now, so, so you crafty folks out there, here, here's your assignment for the next week. And S- look, send your experiences to cryptspeakers at gmail.com. I will say, I look, this has you drowning the doll, stabbing mm-hmm. the doll, and then sure. spitting on the doll. I mean, I would be pretty pissed too if I was the doll, and like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah, probably yeah. don't want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that that's. Um all very valid reasons for a doll to get uh pretty upset um yeah to say nothing of yeah like uh, the restuffing aspect uh huh well well thank you, you know. for for sharing that Ceci. uh i i know for i for one won't be doing that but hey that seems your speed yeah go at it kids i know you kids love your creepy pastas uh I I prefer pesto. Creepy which pesto. A, God damn it. <laughs> this has been Crip Speakers of Tales from the Crypt Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Um we uh have been enjoying doing this show. Uh if you've enjoyed listening to it, tell one person, just one one soul. Just tell them about this episode. Say they watched a good one this time. So they're not quite so uh desperately searching for something to talk about. Um, but, uh, you know, you know, just let somebody know we're out here talking about hands that are also brothers. Um, and, uh, yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter at J the cake thief. I also find my work at synapse.co right now. I'm, uh, helping, uh, do a, uh, feature called past of the furious where we're watching all of the fast and the furious films. Um, and this week, those come out Friday afternoons. And this week, we're doing the big one. We're covering Fast Five, a seminal film in that franchise. And I think in the like history of franchise building, Fast Five is an important film to study and think about. Um, so uh, I look forward to uh, sharing those thoughts with our Synapse team. Uh, Ceci, where can folks find you online? Uh, they can find me hiding in my closet from the creepy doll I just put in the bathtub. Sure. No, that's, I think that's the best strategy that you should have. Um, I, hopefully the dogs get to them first, um, before the, uh, dog gets to you. Um, uh, so with all that said, 
Um, I uh, am going to do our little wrap up here again. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Molly Fancher for our intro and outro music, Mr. N. You can find them on Bandcamp. Uh, toss a couple dollars there that way. And uh, with all that said, until next time, kitties!